I'm much more educated on these uh, issues, and I, I call myself a progressive because um, I guess you could say a Bernie crap and, and appreciating everything Bernie did, even though I didn't know about him in the primary, and I would have advocated for him had I had I known. Um, and that's why I'm trying to advocate for him now because those are the policies I think um, work well around the world and would work well here. And the only reason they're not being implemented here is because of um, corporate money and, and and really the corruption of both parties. Welcome to the Edge of Sports podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, our guest is a running back for the Los Angeles Chargers of the National Football League. His name is Justin Jackson. And if you've been following his Twitter feed, you know why I'm talking to him. This guy is expressing some politics and giving no bleeps. And we're going to talk about why. I've also got some choice words about the Australian wildfires and whether the sports world will do anything about climate catastrophe. And I've got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down Awards. And I'm going to read Dwayne Johnson's tribute to his late father, Rocky Johnson, an absolute legend in the world of professional wrestling. But first, let's go. I'm so excited about this. Justin Jackson. And I'm going to read a couple tweets you wrote right back to you. All right. Um, You wrote, we can drone strike a foreign leader from the sky with a death robot all the way in Iraq, but we can't get clean water pipes under Flint. You also Mm -hmm. cited the cost of war and wrote, yet somehow cable news has the gall to ask Bernie how we'll pay for free college and a less expensive health care system. Oh, and by the way, war is a racket, but you already knew this. Like, I read this and I was like, damn, like my eyebrows singed. (laughs) <laughs> and you've, you've clearly made a decision to let your political flag fly. What, what has spurred this? Um, I don't know if it was one like particular event or anything. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of research, uh, something I'm really into. I do a lot of research on these topics, so I don't try and just talk, you know, out of my ass or anything. Like I like mm-hmm. to educate on the things I'm speaking about. Um, and I don't know. I kind of just, you know, obviously the, our season had just ended not too long ago, so I have a lot more free time. And and during the season, it's just like I have to put so much energy towards, you know, what I'm doing. Uh, obviously, and it, it just takes a takes a lot out of you. So I just didn't have a lot of like free time and, and energy to kind of expound more upon that. And I have done some tweets in the past. They just none of them had really blew up like uh, like the ones recently did. Um, so if you actually, if you were really paying attention and you followed me or whatever, you'd probably know, you know, my political uh, inclinations and everything. But obviously, like you said, these kind of blew up, and uh, and so then a lot more people started paying attention to what I had been saying. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like I don't think anything I said was super controversial. I think it's pretty much widely known truth, but they're not necessarily um, spoken about in the corporate media or amongst right. the uh, corporate elite. Um, and so that's why it's almost like this like shock factor, even though it's it's pretty much widely held true that most of us, most of us Americans who are, you know, kind of in these uh, bubbles, uh, spending most of our time in these bubbles, we already know, we already know that this type of stuff. 
Now, were you shocked that it blew up like it did? And what has the general reaction been, if you could describe it? Um, I wow, yeah, I, I think I was shocked uh, at just you know the reach that it got. You know that the one week retweet that I sent to Mira, which I, I mean, I think it, I think it blew up because I think she's so widely despised amongst. I'm sure the left and the right <laughs> that everyone mm-hmm. can kind of agree upon that. Um, but also I think part of the reason why it was so, um, it got so big is that, um, what I said in it, right? What I said in those tweets were verifiable truths. Um, you know, I only used her words. Um, you know, it wasn't anything that was conspiratorial or false. All those things I said were true. Um, and it really exposed that uh, neoliberal ideology um, for which has, I think, been the, and it, unless we don't stop, it will be the death of the Democratic Party as you see with mm-hmm. the election of Trump. And after eight years of a pretty popular president, Barack Obama, you get a complete um, reactionary type event with the election of Donald Trump. So you see something has failed. And if you look a lot closer, you see the Democrats really after 2016 were completely wiped out of government. And that's at the federal and state level. So there was obviously, you know, something failing within that ideology in which uh, the Democratic Party was being uh, being led by and adhered to. um, And the voters rejected that in 2016. Wow. Now, have you had any reaction from teammates or from your organization or from the NFL? Or, I mean, have they pretty much uh, left left you to express yourself? Um, yeah, I think I think there's a lot there's a lot of uh, I think that's the first thing people think about, obviously because of Kaepernick and, and everything mm-hmm. that went along with that. Um, but I'm not the first one. Maybe maybe the first one, you know, maybe on Twitter or something that said something like that, but. Not the first one, and that's probably not the case either, but definitely not the first one to be outspoken um, about their political beliefs. Um, I just think I'm the most recent. Um, and no, I have not gotten any reaction. I mean, I've gotten positive reaction from my agent, um, from some of my teammates, and I've seen them liking the tweets and them saying, uh, you know, it was really cool, you know, what you're saying, all that stuff. So I have got that positive reaction, but I think there's kind of like this, People want to be like, oh yeah, you're a general manager, owner, telling me to shut up and that type of stuff. Like, I think people will kind of want that to be a story because obviously that would be mm-hmm. and everything. But no, that has not been the case. And um, and we have an organization and a coach who, uh, you know, is very, I think, open to players being uh, human beings, right? Not just being these just. Mm-hmm. Uh, sports props, right, or, or just avenues and mechanisms for profit. Um, they, they, and, our, and, our, and our coach used to be a player, right? So right. He played in the National Football League and all that stuff. So he knows um, what it's like. And, and really, the NFL and its players do a great job of community outreach and building up communities, um, built, trying to build up communities, because a lot of us come from communities that have been widely ignored, right? Um, by uh, politicians and, and just by businesses and all that type of stuff. A lot of us come from those communities. So we do a great job of um, 
you know, do, being in the community, building up those communities, doing everything we can to help. Um, and I think I think I'm doing the same. You know, I'm I'm advocating for a political system that will you know adhere to the needs of those very communities. So um, I think that's very hard to argue against. Mm. Now you mentioned your coach, uh, Coach Anthony Lynn, uh, widely respected individual. I mean, mm-hmm. but it's hard to even hear his name and not think about the fact that you know we're at this point where there are only three African American coaches in the entire National yeah. Football League. Like yeah. if, if if say like you a 14 year old fan asked you you know Justin Jackson why is this the case what what do you say to them? Um, I mean I think there's obviously a lot of politics that go into everything, um, and I don't know. I mean I have my speculations, right? Um, I don't know exactly how all that works because I have not been. Um, in any of those type of meetings or anything like that. And like I said, I don't like to speak from places of, mm-hmm. uh, that I don't have knowledge on. But what I will say is a lot of the times, and I think this is true for any job or any profession, is um, I think people hire people that remind themselves of themselves, right? So I think that a lot of the times, a lot of these candidates, these candidates are so qualified in so many ways. And it really comes down to just, you know, a feeling or, or like a gut feeling. Like, I really like this guy. You know, he, he reminds me when I was younger or, you know, when I was in position. This is all speculation. I'm not exactly sure if this is how it goes. Mm-hmm. This, this is a, I mean, for me, it's a logical explanation for it, right? Um, which is why you advocate for uh, people of color in these types of uh, powerful positions so that if the, if this is the case, right, where you're you're um, hiring and, and considering people that remind you of yourself or who kind of share similar values to you and that type of stuff, um, we can get more coaches and, and, and people uh, of color in positions of power. So, um, I mean, that that's that's just my take on it. Um, I'm sure it's much deeper than that, um, but I, I'm sure that's a factor. Now, you're obviously a very political person. You know, you spoke about, you know, wanting to be uh, well-read on issues before commenting on them. But, you know, everybody's got a political origin story in this, in this because our country is so incredibly apolitical that everybody has, like, political people tend to have uh, moments or experiences yeah. or mentors or they read a book, something that made them decide to be, outspoken and political and i was hoping maybe you could share some of your origin story with us for sure um for me it really was the 2016 election i was what, 18 years old um and i and like i mentioned earlier when we were talking um northwestern was a huge uh just a huge four years of my life where i learned a lot and i really grew up and the great thing about uh athletically was um you know, I was on a team of very intelligent, uh, I had a very intelligent teammate, you know, and a lot of us were very so- socially conscious, maybe not super politically conscious, but very socially conscious. We had a lot of mm-hmm. conversations in the locker room um, about these type of things. And there really were people from all walks of life, came from all over the country, all different socioeconomic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, all that type of stuff. So it really was interesting because it's really like a microcosm of America, right, of the United States. So having those conversations, you really got to hear 
a bunch of different sides of, of ideologies, a bunch of different sides, a bunch of different takes on certain issues. And a lot of times they were deferring takes, right? The, um, the people don't agree and you're actually having an actual discussion about this stuff. And so a lot of times when those discussions would go on, you know, I found myself still advocating for, um, you know, the disaffected amongst us. Um, but I wasn't, I found myself politically not being able to do that as well, as um, good as I wanted to. Um, and, and it wasn't, like I said, coming from a position of, of knowledge, of historical political knowledge where I can, I can actually put concrete hard evidence to certain policies, certain policies or certain candidates. Um, and so in that, in that case, and obviously with Trump and uh, Clinton being, and this was really when I started having this awakening was after the primary. So I had, I didn't really know who Bernie was. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was, really, it was already down to Hillary or, or Trump. And I found myself, you know, obviously advocating for, you know, against Trump because, you know, I just didn't agree with his, not only his political ideology, but um, just, you know, his rhetoric and, and all that type of stuff. I mean, we all know this. Um, and so, but I, I couldn't find any, I didn't have any knowledge as to why I should be advocating for Hillary. Um, and so mm-hmm. I really had to do a lot of research on that. But when I would watch cable news, you know, at that time, I thought, you know, okay, let me watch MSNBC or CNN, ABC, whatever, try and get educated on this. They weren't talking about any type of policy. They weren't talking about anything of substance. It was really just them talking about Trump's tweets or access Hollywood tapes or, you know, it's just very superficial things that, you know, not, they're not important, but I just, I wanted to know more policy-based on how to advocate um, for one candidate. And so that's when I kind of find myself going to alternative uh, independent news, news sources on YouTube. Um, and really the first one I found was um, in TYT because they had, mm-hmm. uh, the Young Turks, they had 20, 30 minute segments on policies, on policies that, on, on critiques of Obama, critiques of Clinton, critiques of Trump, like actual policy-based critiques. And I found myself just becoming more interested and more interested to learn more about this stuff. Um, and so that was kind of where I got enamored with the, with the whole um, political discourse and political histories. Um, and, and fast forward three years later, um, I'm much more educated on these uh, issues, and I, I call myself a progressive because um, I guess you could say a Bernie crat and, and appreciating everything Bernie did, even though I didn't know about him in the primary, and I would have advocated for him had I had I known. Um, and that's why I'm trying to advocate for him now because those are the policies I think um, work well around the world and would work well here. And the only reason they're not being implemented here is because of um, corporate money and, and, and really the corruption of both parties um, and uh, the money interest over the, the interest of the people. Man, I think you just gave me the name for this week's podcast. I'm going to call it, I call myself a Bernie crat. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I, I would definitely describe myself as that. Yeah. So uh, out of curiosity, what do you do if someone else gets the nomination? That is, (laughs) I think that is the question a lot of, 
a lot of Bernie supporters have to um, kind of look in, look inside themselves for, right? Because for me, advocating for a Biden or a Buttigieg, something like that, I think the moment we're in right now as a country um, where we see the student debt crisis, we see the healthcare crisis, we see the climate crisis, all these crises are coming to a head. And I just personally think that whether you get four more years of Trump or you get a milquetoast neoliberal four years, you're heading off a cliff that I don't know if we can really recover from. And mm. so I think there there would be marginal differences, but I think as a whole, America would be in a really, really tough spot if we don't get some progressive leadership to quell some of these crises that we are finding ourselves in because of 30, 40 years of neoliberalism um, that has just really brought our country to the brink. So at this point, I don't think it's good to pledge your vote to any candidate. I think you have to see the platform they run on in the general. And I think that was mm-hmm. a big mistake that the Hillary campaign made in 2016. It was like, well, guess what? You don't have anywhere to go. So you've got to vote for the Democrats. And I, I don't think telling American citizens, American voters to shut up and get in line is the best way to get people out to vote because we do vote on a Tuesday, which doesn't make any sense. And a lot of people are working and that polling places get closed early. The lines are might have to wait hours to vote. And if you're if you're not energized to vote for a candidate, exactly, then you see you see all those barriers. It might cause you to stay home. So exactly. that's just why I don't. I'm not a proponent of pledging your vote to um, a certain candidate ahead of time. I think I can pledge my vote to Bernie because he's been fighting for these issues and his platform has not changed. And it's something that I agree with. Um, I think a Biden or a Buttigieg platform would have to change for me to vocally support their candidate candidacy for the president. If, if they were to be the nominee. Well, yeah, I know that uh, Dallas Cowboy Michael Bennett is a Bernie guy also. Could you, mm-hmm. could you ever see yourself like uh, organizing some NFL players to be like NFL players for Bernie or something like that? I think, you know, that that really is a great idea. And I actually just, I got your book and I appreciate uh, you oh, sending me that. And I, I'm going to start reading it. And, uh, I know, you know, I do remember faintly hearing him advocating for uh, for Bernie back in, in, uh, yeah. in 2016. But I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't super paying attention to it that closely before the general. Um, so he's definitely someone I want to reach out to and uh, hear his take on it. And that would, that would be something that's really cool um, yeah. you know, to collab with him on that. That'd be awesome. You know, you've been so generous with your time, but I'd be uh, guilty of podcasting malpractice if I didn't ask you for your thoughts about Colin Kaepernick. Uh, like what, what you remember way back in 2016 when mm-hmm. – um, when he first took a knee, what your reaction was as just an 18-year-old and how your thoughts about him have evolved or not evolved over the years? Yeah, I mean, obviously I was in college and there were some college 
teams doing and stuff like that. Um, and we had we had conversations not only within our team but within the coaching staff as well um, about that. I I vividly remember that. Um, and I think the biggest tragedy of it is, and this is really the the power of media and the power of perception and the power of narrative control. The biggest tragedy of the whole thing was what he was advocating for and what he was peacefully protesting for, which is which is what um, you know a lot of people who are, who say, oh, if you're not if you're not happy with something, you know, you you know you should go out and protest for it. peacefully protest. You know, people are always anti-violent protest, which I am as well. Um, you know, peacefully protest to advocate for for what you want. That's our American right. And that's really what the country was founded on, those principles. And at the same time, uh, Kaepernick was peacefully protesting for an issue that, you know, affects a lot of a lot of the NFL community because a lot of the NFL community is uh, people of color. Um, and he was he was just, I think, disingenuously smeared for advocating for um, you know, uh, against police brutality and for uh, criminal justice, um, and really the narrative changed from that, which he wanted to put at the forefront of all of our minds and, and our consciousness, um, and it, it became: uh, Does he support the troops? Does he support America? Does he support the flag? Right, which is very disingenuous um, to change the narrative away from something constructive to something that's not constructive at all really it's just a smear because um he's advocating for uh he's advocating for america to to improve right and if he didn't care about america if he didn't love america then he wouldn't be um you know spending his time doing that advocating for that taking chances at you know at a job or taking chances at um uh, continuing his career that he was, you know, his whole life for. So I think it's just, that was the whole tragedy, that whole issue to me, was that the narrative changed from something constructive um, to something that was just very uh, tribalized and uh, mm-hmm. it turned into a partisan issue, which uh, I don't, that obviously wasn't his intention. Um, but yeah. like I said, it's just the power of narrative control and, and, and media. And, uh, yeah, it was, it's honestly really tough. Yeah, and Donald Trump turning it into some kind of election issue. Like our right. calling out all black NFL players in highly racist fashion to, right. to get his base exactly. all fired up. Well, mm-hmm. one one last question I got to ask you. You've been great with your time. I'm so sad. As soon as I get off the phone with you, I'm going to hit up Michael B, Mikey B, and be like, yeah, I just talked to Justin Jackson. You've got a fellow Bernie compatriot in the Love NFL. <laughs> yeah. I'm so psyched to do all that right now. But I, I did want to yeah. ask you, everybody I talk to, they always have some music that they listen to that inspires them, that keeps them going, whether it's an athlete working out or just what you listen to when you're politicking mm. and trying to think about the world. What, what's Justin Jackson's soundtrack? Man, look, <laughs> we would be talking for an hour if I, I, I like the music is like my life. Like I love oh, break it down, break it down, please. It's, 
I mean, I have so many different uh, musical inspirations. Um, my dad's from Detroit, so like I grew up on Motown, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s type music. You know, Whitney, Michael, Gap Band. Mm-hmm. I mean, it 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 goes back all the way back. You know, to Temptations type. I'm talking like we're spanning 30, 40 years of just musical greatness. That's what I grew up on, and then obviously growing up in in the um, hip hop community, right? Um, 90s hip hop, you know, 2000s hip hop, which is really like one of my favorite genres. Um, you know, we're talking about hip hop and rap, you know, the mixture of both. Um, I mean, we're talking, you know, Wayne, obviously growing up Wayne was huge, but I really, my first, the rapper I got into, uh, the most is, uh, J. Cole and his Friday Night Lights. Mm. Like that was like my, I, to this day, I damn that, you know, every single word, like, and then you got Kendrick, you got I me mean, all the greats, you know, all the greats, you know, go back to Nas, Biggie, Tupac, like all that, love it. And, you know, that's my community, you know, that's my community. So always, we'll always have an appreciation for that, a love for that. But really in high school, I started getting into more like rock, alternative, like indie, you know, with just with Spotify and, and, and you could just search artists and have similar artists and you could just, man, just be on there all day discovering new artists and that type of stuff. Like, I mean, I could, like I said, I could go on and on. Like, I, I love music. It's, for me, it's always been something that if I just need to calm down and, and take some of the take the edge off, you know, the stress. Obviously, being an athlete and being a competitor and always competing and being in those uh, different arenas, uh, just to take some of that stress off. Like, oh, that's like something that has always helped me just calm calm my nerves and and just uh, kind of vibe and just chill. Um, and I continue this day to discover new bands, new artists, and like. The best thing I love about music is not only do well, I listen to something and I think, like, it just reminds me, it just triggers a memory in my head and just makes me happy of, you know, going on road trips with my family or just mm. literally certain songs just remind me of certain moments in my life. Um, and it's just an amazing, you know, kind of just reminiscing. It's just an amazing feeling. But at the same time, I discover new artists and I'm like, how did I live with not knowing this artist? Like, how did I live my life up to this point, not knowing this artist type thing? And, I think that's just a, an awesome feeling, and um, and there's always so much more to be discovered, and um, and I just love it, man. It's 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 in the same way that sports is art, right? It's just a different type of art. Um, I, that's really how I look at it, um, and so I always appreciate people who can do things that I can't. <laughs> um, right. So uh, this playing instruments but, or being able to to freestyle rap and just write amazing lyrics, just poetry. Um, I will always appreciate that. Um, and the, those guys, I mean, women and, and men in, in, in that industry really to this day inspire me. I wish I could do it. Um, maybe it's a little too late. I'm going to be 24. You know, they say you got to <laughs> learn that stuff when you're younger. But, may, but no, maybe no, I'll no. take some time out and uh, try and try and... Now, in another life, I'm like a lead guitarist in a band you know like just touring the country like touring the world like that in another life that's what i do you know yeah <laughs> it, it's it's never too late to learn music it can't be music is, is the it's the absolute lifeblood so you know you never want to say oh i missed the chance to do music mm-hmm. 
That's beautiful. You mentioned, I just got to do a follow-up because you mentioned like, oh, I can't believe I lived my whole life without knowing this artist. Who's an artist that you would love for people to listen to who might be a little bit slept on? It doesn't matter the genre of music. Oh, man. That is, uh, that's tough. Um, you know, I became a really good, uh, I became a really good friend with, uh, the guys in I Prevail. Um, they're, they're a rock band. Um, they recently just released, I think, was it this past year, it was 2019, they released, uh, a Grammy nominated rock album. I love those guys. Um, they're great. Uh, awesome people. They make great music. I'd be remiss if I didn't plug those guys. Um, but, uh, oh man, I have so many, like, I feel like I'm on the spot. Like, I have so many favorite Oh, my artists. bad. Like, <laughs> no, 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 you're good. There's just like, there's like so many, uh, almost too many names. But, mm-hmm. um, some great ones and, uh, and alternative, like indie, all pop, I guess. Um, Lanny's great. You know, they're already kind of big. Um, Chase Atlantic is great. Um, if you want to go, more in the uh hip hop realm. I kinda just discovered uh Rex Life, Raj. He's he's awesome. Like his vibe is, is, is great. There's also a guy named Shaker or Shakur, I think. I'm not even sure exactly how to pronounce it, but his music is amazing. Um man, there's literally so many. I it's so hard to name all of them. Um some of my other favorite ones in rock are Sleeping with Silence and uh Pierce the Veil. They're amazing issues. Great band just released the uh, album last year. I love it. Um, they, they bend and mix a lot of genres in their music. It's it's amazing. You know those guys, so want to plug them as well. But there, there's and I'm gonna forget some and I'm gonna feel bad after. But there's literally yeah. just so much music out there. So I just encourage people to, uh, yeah, go out there and, and and check out all these new artists, independent artists or ones that aren't huge. You know, support them. You know, buy their merch, buy their. Uh, albums on iTunes, uh, stream as much as you can, because um, they need that support. You know, they're not all, you know, very wealthy. I think people will get, get that confused, especially when they're in a band. You know, they got to split those profits in three, four, five ways. So. Oh, and, for our, and for our young listeners, check out the Gap Band. Oh, my gosh. Check out, of course, check out the Gap Band, Charlie Wilson. Oh, man. Amazing. Legend. I mean, I mean there's, there's so there's so many that I could talk about that forever. I mean, he, the, the stylistics, the Supremes, like you go. If you want to talk about hip hop or Fogus, uh, Isley Brothers. Oh my gosh, there's so many. There's mm-hmm. one Fire. Like that's my stuff. <laughs> so I could go on and on about that. Nice. I'll just tell folks start with the Jackie Brown soundtrack and then work your way outward. Yeah, exactly. And you'll be very happy. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> Justin, I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I hope you see uh, me as a resource. If you ever need anything going forward, any support, any campaigns you want to do. And I just really appreciate, you know, that you're being you. Yeah, I appreciate you, Dave. Thanks for having me on, giving me a platform to speak. Uh, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your love for music. And look, I I didn't I didn't expect uh, you to, to know as much about uh you know that band and stuff like that so it's always a uh, nice <laughs> to meet a fellow uh you know music lover <laughs> you never yeah you never know once you scratch the surface um exactly yo be well okay all right appreciate you Dave. all right Peace. take care okay that was justin jackson ladies and gents we'll be back right after this
And now a quick word for a new podcast being sponsored by The Nation magazine, and it's called More Than Enough. Look, when Mia Birdsong first heard about the concept of a guaranteed income in the mid-90s, she thought it sounded absurd. But in the writings of Martin Luther King Jr., Birdsong found stirring denunciations of a society that left Americans, both black and white, perishing on a lonely island of poverty. King's solution was to provide a basic level of material well-being to allow all Americans to truly flourish. Most of us believe that having a job makes you a whole person, but for Birdsong, who delivered the popular 2015 TED Talk, The Story We Tell About Poverty Isn't True, it took her years of discussion to unlearn what she thought she knew about economic inequality, jobs, and money. As Birdsong notes, Free money went against everything I'd learned about being a respectable citizen. But people change, and our ideas evolve. I no longer think guaranteed income is absurd. From the Nation, More Than Enough is a four-episode podcast that explores the concept of guaranteed income, or universal basic income, through conversations with people who are themselves living on the lonely island of poverty. We invite you to listen to these underexplored conversations with Americans about universal basic income, what it is, what it means, and what it says about a culture that so closely correlates deservedness with work. Join Birdsong as she explores the idea of the meaning of work, of inequality, and most importantly, of what America is and what it can be. More than enough. It already launched on January 15th. It's outstanding podcasting. Please check it out. And now... Back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words about the Australian wildfires. This piece is called The Australian Open is the Tip of a Melting Iceberg. Okay, look, the realities of climate change are colliding with the world of sports. The Australian Open which of course is the first leg of tennis's Grand Slam, has seen players this week complain of chest pains, vomiting, and dizziness as a result of the smoke and ash coming from the wildfires that have ravaged the country. British competitor Liam Brody wrote on social media, The more I think about the conditions we played in a few days ago, the more it boils my blood. On tour, we let so many things go that aren't right, but at some point we have to make a stand. All players need protection, not just a select few. As The Guardian reported, others to suffer and speak out have included the Slovenian, Dalila Jakupovic, who collapsed and quit after an uncontrollable coughing fit, and Dustin Brown, who received medical treatment and said the courtside doctor told him he had a virus coming on. Brown commented on Twitter, In 35 years, it's the first time I had to use an asthma spray to help me breathe better. This is not the first time that the heating of the planet has been an issue at the Australian Open. In 2014, temperatures rose to 108 degrees, causing players to pass out, vomit, and burn their skin on chairs. The sneakers of one player actually melted. This led to new restrictions related to heat starting in 2015. Officials, however, did not foresee the impact of the country being on fire by 2020. Well, perhaps they should have. 
Rumbles by players have included demands for some kind of collective action, as well as demands for the top players in the sport, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, to speak out and actually say something about the conditions. Now this crisis at the Australian Open is a living present-day example of the ways that climate destruction is invading and warping the normally hermetically sealed entertainment chamber that is the world of sports. Cold weather competitions have already seen a creeping crisis in the availability of snow and ice, hurting the ability to stage regular competitions. Hockey in Canada, in the words of the organization Climate Nexus, is at risk of becoming an endangered sport. Recent reports are warning of the end of outdoor rinks in Canada, where average temperatures rose 4.5 degrees between 1951 and 2005. In that time period, many areas of Canada saw a 20% decrease in the outdoor hockey season. One particularly emblematic rink has seen a five-day decrease in playable days per decade between 1972 and 2013, with 58 playable days in that period, falling to 28 days by 2090. It's not just as we see in Australia right now, the sports that demand the cold. Marathons, cycling, or any outdoor sport that requires a superhuman cardiovascular ability are on the clock. In addition, golf could become something that has to be done inside a dome, as the destruction of local ecosystems caused by golf courses, coupled with rising waters, make caring for an 18-hole course exceedingly difficult. Golf Digest reported that out of 1,168 courses less than 2 meters above sea level, more than half are vulnerable to disappearance by the end of this century. Now, President Global Warming is a Chinese hoax Trump has famously decided to design a seawall to protect his own golf course in Dunebeg, Ireland. This led to the 2018 Vox headline, Trump dismisses the economic impact of climate change, except at his golf course. As for the players at the Australian Open, climate catastrophe has become a workplace safety issue. One player, Canadian Vasek Pospisil, said, It's time for a players' union. This is getting absurd. Imagine if the players went on strike to cancel the Australian Open in the name of their own health as well as in solidarity with those affected by the fires. Such actions, once unthinkable, might soon become a necessity. The sports world has for too long had its head in the sand when it comes to our ongoing climate catastrophe. That neutrality will no longer suffice. It can either strive to be part of the solution or it can be an instrument of distraction. If they choose the latter, the minders of our games will be obscuring the severity of the problem even as their own sports sink into the sea or simply burn. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the part of the show we call Just Stand Up or Just Sit Your Ass Down. The Just Stand Up Award this week. Stand up! 
goes to 1968 Olympian and one of our favorites, Dr. John Carlos. You may have heard that the International Olympic Committee has just passed these absolutely obnoxious authoritarian dictates to stop protest at the 2020 Olympic Games by athletes. They're calling on all sorts of vague punishments for any athlete who dares raise a fist on the medal stand, uh, take a knee, or make any sort of comments that have anything to do with the world when they're on the field of play. Well, Dr. John Carlos, who of course raised that titanic fist at the 1968 Games, he had something to say about it, and he said it to me exclusively for an article on The Nation, and I want to read what he said. He said, this is nonsense. They're way out of line with this. They're trying to take people's rights away, and it's ridiculous. They're saying that they don't want politics at the Olympics, but this is a political move. The silencing of people is political. We all love the Olympics, but I'm not sacrificing my humanity to win a medal. Every time they go to a different nation for a different Olympics, are you going to tell me that the choice of the country isn't politically motivated? I ain't buying that. The athletes should be able to make a statement on the medal stand. They are not disrespecting a flag. They are using their time to do what they think is right. They are trying to save lives. No one has the right to take away what's inside you or silence what you want to say. Thank you so much, Dr. John Carlos. That's absolutely right. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down. Uh, This story has changed uh, since I wrote it up, but I want to read you what I wrote. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award goes to the security officer who issued an arrest warrant for wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr., who is charged with simple battery for slapping the butt of a cop during the LSU's post-game locker room celebration. Now, the police officer, who is, by the way, not a member of the New Orleans Police Department, as they quickly said, but was a deputized member of the security team and had arresting powers uh, and all sorts of powers that were get cop powers, basically, that he had. Uh, and he said he was going to beat up Odell Beckham at the moment, but thought against it uh, in the name of preserving the moment for the kids or whatever. He's withdrawn his uh, warrant that he swore out for Odell Beckham Jr.'s arrest. But I just have to say, that still gets a just sit your ass down. I mean, what the hell was a police officer doing in that locker room in the first place? And why was he so bent out of shape about the fact that players were smoking cigars? And Odell Beckham Jr., yes, slapping the ass of a security guard, not something we're advising anybody to do here on the Edge of Sports Show. But if you're in that locker room in the middle of a celebration, asses are getting slapped. And I'm sorry, but there is a racial element here as well. You're trying to tell me Peyton Manning in his years in Louisiana hasn't slapped his share of cop butts? I think he has. I think there is a red Peyton Manning fingerprint on so many behinds of so many cops. They probably point it out to their friends in the locker room and say, look at my Peyton Manning hand on my butt. That's what I think. And so Odell Beckham Jr., you did not deserve to have an arrest warrant sworn out in your name. And the police officer who even thought about doing it, please sit your ass down. And now um, I want to end the show actually by reading something that moved me very deeply. Um, An incredible professional wrestler who I grew up cheering for, the soul man, Rocky Johnson, passed away unexpectedly at age 75 last week. Now, Rocky Johnson is best known, unfortunately, I think, as the father of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, the biggest movie star in the world. Rocky Johnson deserves to be known in his own right as an absolute trailblazer in the world of professional wrestling, someone who brought dignity to a racist enterprise. 
Now, Dwayne Johnson wrote a long tribute to his father, Rocky Johnson, and I want to read what Dwayne Johnson wrote because it really did move me. He wrote, I love you. You broke color barriers, became a ring legend, and trailblazed your way through this world. I was the boy sitting in the seats, watching and adoring you, my hero from afar. The boy you raised to always be proud of our cultures and proud of who and what I am. The boy you raised with the toughest of love, the intense work, the hard hand. The adoring boy who wanted to know only your best qualities, who then grew to become a man realizing you had other deep complex sides that needed to be held and understood. Son to father, man to man. That's when my adoration turned to respect and my empathy turned to gratitude. Grateful that you gave me life. Grateful you gave me life's invaluable lessons. Dad, I wish I had one more shot to tell you. I love you. Before you crossed over to the other side. But you were ripped away from me so fast without warning. Gone in an instant and no coming back. I'm in pain. But we both know it's just pain and it'll pass. Now I'll carry your mana and work ethic with me. As it's time to move on because I have my family to feed and work to accomplish. Finally, I want you to rest your trailblazing soul, soul man, pain-free, regret-free, satisfied, and at ease. You lived a very full, very hard, barrier-breaking life and left it all in the ring. I love you, Dad, and I'll always be your proud and grateful son. Go rest high. Those are the words of Dwayne The Rock Johnson about his late father, the soul man, Rocky Johnson. And one other thing about Rocky Johnson, it's very interesting that when he would be announced in the ring, they would always say he's from Washington, D.C. Well, he's not from Washington, D.C. They only said that because he was black and they thought Washington, D.C., Chocolate City, that's where Rocky Johnson would be from. He was actually from Canada. His ancestors were escaped enslaved people who migrated up to Nova Scotia and were part of a community of escaped enslaved people. Uh, who then raised their families over the course of generations in Canada. That's the roots of Rocky Johnson. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's show. Thank you so much to Justin Jackson for being a guest this week. Thank you so much to everybody out there who's been listening and supporting the program. You can always go to iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice to listen to back editions of the Edge of Sports podcast. And if you can go to these podcast uh, dispensaries and leave a rating or write a little review, all of that helps us so very much. So for everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.